Be'eschanan is an incredible parsha with numerous highlights, one of which is in Paragvav, Pasuk Hay, right after the famous Pasuk of the Shema, we read, The command to love Hashem with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our means. The question is, what does exactly this entail? What does it mean to love Hashem? We hopefully understand what it means to love another human being. There are different kinds of loves. There's parental love, there's romantic love, there's friendship love. But what does it mean to love Hashem? What does it mean to love someone we cannot see, that we cannot feel? And this is a question that not only I think many of us intuitively raise, it's a question that was raised by some of the Mepharshim, including, for example, the Mizrahi. So a question this profound obviously has many different approaches in the Mepharshim, but we'll study just one, that of the Shita, the opinion, and the approach of the Rambam. The Rambam actually discusses this in a number of places, and I think understood in a holistic way, there is a profound, insightful, and sophisticated approach, just as we would expect from the Rambam. So in terms of the question of how one loves Hashem, the Rambam discusses this in two places. In Hilchos Yisodei Torah, in the, in the Mishnah Torah, in Perak Beis, the Rambam tells us how one comes to love God. If one contemplates and considers the incredible creations that God has created, you will be overwhelmed and awed from the creation, from the chachma, from the wisdom that went into the creation. They're overwhelming, they're incomparable, they're never-ending. And immediately, miyad hu ohev hu meshabeach mefoer hu metavet You'll be filled with an overwhelming love of Hashem, and that love will fuel a desire to know more and more and more, and to get to know more. When you see such incredible things, not only are you taken in by it, but you're taken in by it, and therefore you want to know more, and the more you know, the more you want to know. And it's a never-ending cycle, hopefully, of becoming impassioned and in love with Hashem, based on this intellectual apprehension of Hashem. He also, in this passage, says that the same contemplation will bring a yira, of Hashem, although that is not our topic, but his primary focus seems to be that by studying and contemplating and understanding to the best of our ability the wonders of nature and science and the natural world, that will come to help us love Hashem. And he concludes, Shiyu petach lemevin Hashem, that this contemplation, this analysis, this understanding will be a petach, an opening to those who will come to understand and love Hashem. And I think that metaphor, at least the way I understand it, that term a petach, is again, there's nothing guaranteed and it's not necessarily going to be uniform, but it's an opening, an opening that allows us to cross that great divide and somehow apprehend a little bit of who Hashem is and therefore hopefully come to love Him. In the Sefer HaMitzvos, right in the beginning, Mitzvah say Gimel, the third mitzvah that the Rambam lists, he also mentions, again, the mitzvah of loving Hashem and discusses how one does it. Here also he mentions, yet again, the impression and the importance, I should say, of contemplating the natural world. But here there's a different focus. Again, he mentions the pulos, the the creations of Hashem, but here the focus is primarily studying deeply and analyzing 
the mitzvos of Hashem, by understanding the mitzvos, God's moral will, that will also, the brilliance of it, the insightfulness of it, that will also bring one to Hashem. And in order to bolster this, he quotes a medrash in the Sifrei, which comments on the Pasuk of Yehavtas Hashem Elokecha, so the medrash itself asks, how do you love Hashem? And therefore the medrash answers the very next Pasuk, these very things that I'm commanding you, the mitzvos, place them on your heart. Contemplate those mitzvos, study those. And through that you'll understand the author of those wisdoms. But in other words, whereas the creation is an expression of God's natural will, the mitzvos are an expression of his moral will. And by studying and contemplating those, we get an insight into God, and that will hopefully bring us to love him as well. On the one hand, these are somewhat different. One is talking about the natural world, the other one is talking about the moral world, and the moral will of Hashem, the mitzvos. On the other hand, they share a common denominator and that they are both somewhat intellectual by contemplating and studying in a deep way that will come to lead uh, to Hashem. However, it's interesting that when the Rambam, in a third selection, in Hilchos Tshuva, in Perek Yud, when he describes what love of God looks like, not how to get there, but what it looks like experientially, he speaks of something very emotional. He says, you should love Hashem with an incredible, overwhelming love, Ava Gedola, Yisera, Aza Ma'od, until the extent that you are completely connected, obsessed, we might say, in the vernacular with Hashem, and you love Him and you're thinking about Him constantly, you're constantly thinking about Hashem, until you're lovesick. It's just like a man who becomes totally in love with, infatuated, obsessed with a woman, all he can do is think about this woman that he loves. So to that type of lovesickness and constantly thinking and thinking more and more about Hashem, that's the love of Hashem that we're talking about. On the one hand, this may seem like a little bit of a contradiction. The previous source struck a much more intellectual, contemplative uh, posture, and here the Rambam seems to talk about something emotional, to say the least, something intense, extremely emotional. But I think the answer is clear, and that is if we read the Rambam just a little bit further on in Hechoshuvah and Perak Yud, the Rambam says explicitly that while the goal in its experience is emotional a connection to Hashem, you can't love God, unless you know Him. In the memorable formulation of the Rambam here. To the extent that you know him, you can love him. We cannot know someone or something that we do not know. Only by knowing Hashem can we come to love him. And therefore, says Rama, what are the two ways, the twin ways we get to know Hashem? Through understanding his natural will, the expression of the natural world, and his moral will through the mitzvah. So if we do those, which is an intellectual process, that will bring to the incredible emotional intensity of loving Hashem as described in Hechos In a parsha filled with so many highlights, perhaps the most poignant and certainly the most emotional is the opening section of the parsha, where Moshe pleads with Hashem that Hashem should rescind his decision, rescind his decree to not allow Moshe into Eretz Yisrael. Moshe asks yet again, he begs, he pleads, Be'eschanan el Hashem Esahilemor. I implored, he says, I begged Hashem at that time saying, Please, you who've already shown your greatness, your strong hand, there's no one like you, but Shemaimu Varetz, no one can do what you can do. Please, please let me cross, let me go against 
go across the, the river, let me see this beautiful, beautiful land. Chazal, we know, famously Darshan, from the gematria of the word of Eschanan, that Moshe didn't give up 515 tefillot. Not only did he beg constantly, but he was willing even to, you could say, debase himself. Eschanan, Rashi tells us, as Miloshon, in chinom b'chamokam el loshon matnas chinom. Moshe was willing to say, even if I don't deserve it, even if I have no zechusim, but please, I'm begging you anyway, please, let me go in, please have mercy on me. Moshe had no zechuyos. It doesn't matter, of course he had many zechuyos. Moshe was willing to admit to being undeserving, if that would have been enough to get him in. And despite his unbelievably sincere yearning and his pleading, we read, of course, of the difficult response that he received. V'yisaber Hashem bi, Hashem became angry with me. L'manchem v'lo shamaylai. Unfortunately, the sin that happened with the Jewish people, Moshe is held responsible for his actions, for their actions. And Hashem says to me, Rav lach al tosef, don't say another word to me. Od b'davar hazeh. Alei rosh you can go up on the mountain, you can look, Sainecha yama v'tzafona v'semana mizracha, you can look all around, Re'ei be'inecha, but nevertheless, lo ta'avor es hayarden hazeh. Moshe, you will not pass and cross over the Yarden. You will not go in to Eretz Yisrael. Moshe is the first, but certainly not the last, Jew throughout history who desperately wanted to get into Eretz Yisrael, but wasn't able to. Throughout our history, we have had great tzaddikim who have desperately desired, and some in fact who tried to make the trek, and for a variety of different reasons and circumstances, weren't able to go. In essence, they were told not through Navua, perhaps, but through circumstances, they were given the same decision as Moshe received. How many Jews throughout history have wanted to come and to be able to see Eretz Yisrael, to live here? And they too, in one way or another, were given the response, Nevertheless, if one genuinely has that desire, as much as it would be disappointing not to be able to live in Eretz Yisrael, one can take comfort, perhaps, in a very important and powerful Gemara in Masech Ksubis. The Gemara there on Daf Ayin Hey, Darshan's Apostle in Tehillim, Ulitzion Yomar, Ish Ve'ish Yuladba, Hu Yichonena Elyon. That there are two people who are considered an Ish of Tzion, two people who are considered those who are the citizens of Tzion. Says the Gemara, Echad Hanoladba, Ve'echad Hametzapa. There is a natural born citizen, but there is also somebody who may not be able to be there, but he's mitzapel leroso. He desires to be there. And the Gemara implies that even the one who is not in Israel, but he's mitzapel leroso, that is considered ish ish, an ish of Tzion, a citizen of Tzion. Rav Aaron Salvechik, in the work Logic of the Heart, Logic of the Mind, tells a remarkable story about a period in history, in the earlier part of the 20th century, where Jews were trying to emigrate to pre-mandate Palestine, pre-state Palestine, and there was quotas on the visas from different countries, and there was a bunch of Jews who wanted to emigrate, but for whatever country they were coming from, the visas had already been used up. And therefore some of the Jews living in then-Palestine had the idea of forging passports and visas to make it look as if they were from countries, citizens of countries that still had 
more visas that could allow them into the Holy Land. And they asked the great rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld, if it was allowed. And he said, no, how could you do that? You're lying. You can't see you're from one country if you're from another. A few days later, they came back to Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld, and they said, we have a different idea. Instead of forging passports that say we're from this country in Europe and not that country, what if we forge passports that say we're from Palestine, that these Jews are from Palestine. And Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld gave them a bracha for their efforts. But they were confused. They didn't understand. A few days earlier, you told us we can't lie. We can't make a passport that says they're from a country they're not from. And now you're allowing us? And Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld responded by quoting this Gemara. If someone genuinely is trying to get to Eretz Yisrael, that even before they get there, even when they're still in the Bechina of Hametzah Pelerosa, they're already considered an Ish Tzion. And therefore to write that they are from Palestine is not a lie in fact, on a deep existential level, it's true. And they are already citizens of Tzion by the very fact that they are Metzapeh Lerosa. This, I think, is something for all of us to think about when we consider the greatest of all men, Moshe Rabbeinu, who is deprived of something, that we are fortunate in our time and generation to be blessed with the ability to do, which is, if we want, to come and live in Eretz Yisrael. Moshe was so desperate, and Hashem told him, no, lo tavor es hayardein hazeh. And obviously each person has to do their own cheshbon nefesh, and it's also possible that, unfortunately, there will be people, even in today, in our day and age, we'll feel that circumstances are such that lo that's not for anyone else to judge, that's a person in their own conscience, in the privacy, in their relationship with Hashem, only Hashem can judge, and that is an honest cheshbon and nefesh that everyone must do with themselves. But at least to desire to go, to think about it, to be inspired by Moshe's desire, that is something I believe is obligatory on all of us. One of the centerpieces of Parshas V'Aschanan is, of course, the second recounting of the Asaras Adibros. And just like in Parshas Yisro, here as well, the fifth of the commandments is Kibra Ve'en, the mitzvah to honor our parents. It is no surprise that both in Midrashim, in Sefer Shmos and in Dvarim, as well as in Gemaras in Midrashim throughout the literature of Chazal, there is a lot that has been said about the importance of Kibra Ve'en, the virtues of Kibra Ve'em, various nuances of the mitzvah. For our purposes in today's short Devar Torah, I'd like to focus just briefly on two primary sources, a medrash in Dvarim Rabbah in Parsha Aleph, Simen Tezvav, as well as the Gemara in Maseches Kiddushin, in Daf Lamed Aleph, Amad Aleph, which focus on the ability for us to learn the obligation for us to learn, in fact, about the greatness and importance of Kibar Ave'em from less than typical or expected sources, that of Esav and Dama ben Nesiyah, who is described by Chazal as a non-Jew from Ashkelon. Esav and Dama ben Nesiyah, non-Jews, in Esav's case, someone who's typically seen as a representative of everything that's wrong, a Russia par excellence, and yet... Chazal have no problem in, problem in highlighting both of these individuals and extolling their incredible dedication, respectively, to their parents. So when it comes to Esav, the Medrash tells us here in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, none other than one of the greatest of our sages, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, who says, Lo kibed birya es avosav, kmo ani es avosai, 
Umatzas is Shekibar Esav Laviv Yoser Mimeni. Says Roshim Gamliel, an astounding statement. He says, I know of no one who has more respect for their parents than me, and yet I did not compare to Esav. Esav was even greater than me. And he gives an example, and he explains that when I am serving my parents, so I did so in my, we would call casual clothing. He refers to that more as my soiled or dirty clothing. But the point is, this is not my finest clothing, not what I would wear out. So I'm taking care of my parents, that's what I wore. He says, however, when I would go outside on the street, I'm the Nasi, I'm Shem Gamliel, I'm going to work. So then I put on my nice clothes, my nice suit. However, he says, when it came to Esav, it was not the case. In fact, he wore his nicest clothes, his fanciest clothes, to take care of his father Yitzchak. That is one example where we are told to learn from Esav. The Medrash as well describes the fact that when the Jewish people were coming up close to the area where some of the descendants of Esav, that Esav lived, that Moshe is told very carefully and very specifically not to start up with them, pick an alternate route, go around them, but don't start up with them, don't try to have any kind of a war with them, because you will lose. And the Medrash explains that, Hashem showed Moshe the place where the Avos are buried, in Maras HaMachpelah, and he said to Moshe, tell the Jewish people, don't worry, you can't start up with Esav and his descendants, because those people who are buried there, Esav still deserves reward. As much as I've rewarded him, it's still not enough for the incredible kibud that he gave his parents and those who are buried, he said, there in Kever, excuse me, in Maras HaMachpela. So these are two statements in the Medrash extolling Esav of all people. Well-known as well are the statements, which are both in the Medrash and perhaps more well-known in the version in the Gemara, that extol Dhamma ben Nesina. In fact, the Gemara, as I said previously, highlights the fact that Dhamma ben Nesina was in fact not Jewish, come from the city of Ashkelon, and how, in one case, he was greatly distressed by his mother. In the version in the Medrash, it says that she was chasradas, she had unfortunately lost her mind, mentally ill, but either way, whether it was because of illness or not, the Medrash and Gemara describe how she humiliated him in public, and he either very, very politely asked her to stop, according to one version, or according to the other version, he simply did nothing. He just took it. Incredible self-control, which the Medrash and Gemara attribute to his incredibly dedicated fulfillment of honoring his parents. The other story, which is much more well-known, again, both in the Gemara and the Medrash, is about the incredible dedication he had to his father. And the uh, Medrash and the Gemara both describe the famous story about when the Chachamim once needed to purchase something from him that would have given him a tremendous profit, but he couldn't access the profit, excuse me, the, the merchandise, because it was locked up, and the key was either under the pillow of, uh, of his father who was sleeping, or according to the Medrash, his father's foot was on some kind of a teva in which the, there was the key or something light effect, slightly different version, but basically he could access it and he wouldn't disturb his father out of an incredible amount 
of respect and who's willing to give up that. And Chazal tell us that as a reward for this, the even though he was offered enormous amounts of money and he would not accept it, at some point later, he actually gave birth to a red cow, to a paraduma, and when Chacham came back to him and again needed something, here he was able to do the business deal with the Chachamim and receive an incredible, incredible reward uh, that he had really had foregone and been willing to forego that original time. So these are two stories about Gama ben Asina, two stories about Esav, all of which are supposed to teach us in the world, in the, in the eyes of the Chachamim, how important Kibrava aim is. And I think it is striking and instructive that Chazal have no problem and Dafka use examples of atypical heroes, in particular non-Jews, or in Esav's case, someone who we usually think of as wicked, to teach us, I think, the universality of Kibrava aim. That at its base, it is the ultimate expression of Hakara Satov, and that is not something that should be particularistic to the Jewish people, it's certainly not a ritual, that is something that stems from our basic humanity and appreciation for others who do good for us, and no one does better for us than our parents. Rev. Levi Yitzhak of Berdichev suggests that a foundational piece of the Hasidic approach to tefillah can be detected from a single word in the opening of this week's Parsha. We read at the outset, V'eschanan el Hashem ba'esahi le'mor. It's describing Moshe's tefillah and his pleading to Hashem to be able to enter into the land of Israel. However, notes Rebbe Levi Yitzchak in his Sefer Kedushas Levi that the word le'mor seems to be extra. V'eschanan el Hashem ba'esahi, colon, and now tell me what the tefillah is. What's the need for the word lamor? Now the truth is that we may be familiar with this type of phraseology. It does come up often in the Torah. So-and-so said, saying. But the truth of the matter is, says Levi Yitzchak, that really only makes sense even in the biblical Hebrew construct if this is something that is going to be told to somebody else. If this was what Moshe was saying and would be said to the Jewish people or something like that, there would be a further communication to some other uh, recipient, then says Rav Yitzchak, it would make sense. But here, this is the tefillah that Moshe is giving directly to Hashem. Why do we need to have the extra laymor? So says Rav Yitzchak to answer this question so beautifully and so powerfully. He says, "Venira sheperush apostok be'eschanan el Hashem be'esahi perush shehaya mischanein tchila kedeshi yuchal hispalel acharkach." That is to say, what we're reading here in this first pasuk is the tefillah, lifnei the tefillah, the tefillah, the prayer, but for the prayer. The word of eschanan is not referring to the actual prayer that Moshe offered to Hashem to be allowed to enter Eretz Yisrael, but rather it is his prayer that he offered before that prayer. Lamor then transitions and tells us that now is coming the actual tefillah that Hashem, Moshe communicated to Hashem. But in fact, two different tefillos are being alluded to. Ve'eschanan el Hashem. That is Moshe davening that he should be able to pray. Ve'eschanan el Hashem be'esahileimor. That is the actual tefillah. Now why was that necessary? What exactly is going on? So Rav Levi Yitzchak explains, She'kodem lo'hoi yocho le'imor. Ki ha'ya bosh mi'lefanav yisbarach. And this is the foundational Hasidic idea which Rav Yitzchak finds in our Parsha. That is to say, naturally on our own, we really can't pray. We can't daven. We can't approach Hashem. We need to daven that 
we should be able to daven. Often many of us find it difficult to daven. I think, ironically, many of us, because we don't appreciate davening, but we should take some comfort in the fact that many of the greatest tzaddikim also found it difficult to daven, but for very different reasons than unfortunately many of us. And that is because they so appreciated davening, they so well understood what it meant to be speaking intimately, one-on-one with the Reboner Shalom, the Master of the Universe, that that itself was something that was completely overwhelming to them. And therefore, says Rav Levi Yitzchak, and this is an idea that you find in Hasidic practice and written about in other Hasidic sources, it's important to, as he writes it, lihispalel sheyuchal lihispalel, to daven, that we should be able to daven, to take a step back, even before the formal tefillah, and to spend at least a brief moment davening, that we should be able to summon the requisite kavana, the intent, to be in the moment, the spiritual impulse to get on the right wavelength, that we should be able to actually daven. This perhaps is what the Gemara and Chazal have in mind when they speak about the fact that one should introduce the tefillah with the words, Hashem sefasai tiftach ufiya Whether we realize it or not, all of us, in fact, are offering a tefillah before the tefillah a brief and very short tefillah before we begin the tefillah of our Shemon Esrei, asking Hashem to give us the ability to daven. Hashem, safasai siftach. Hashem, please open up my mouth, please open up our lips so that we should be able to daven. Moreover, the Gemara tells us in Masech the Brachos as well, chasidim harishonim hayushoim sha'achas, that the early chasidim, now of course the chasidim mentioned in the Gemara, is a chasidim with a lowercase ches, so to speak. It doesn't mean the chasidim in the sense of Rav Levi Yitzchak Abraditchev, but it means the pious ones, even at the time of the Gemara, they used to spend, if you take the Gemara literally, a full hour in contemplation before they davened. Now that is the simple understanding of the Gemara, that they thought and concentrated and focused before they davened. However, there's a Hasidic thought which puts a twist on this Gemara, or perhaps may better yet, you could say, reads the Gemara more carefully, or reads the Mishnah really more carefully. The Mishnah on Brachos, Daflam, and Bet. Because the Lashon of the Mishnah, again, I'll read it, but now I'll read it in its completion. Chasidim harishonim hayushoim sha'achas umispalim kedei she'yechavunu libam avihem shabashamayim. That, again, one could easily read this, perhaps this is the simple understanding, that they sat for an hour so that they should be able to daven with kavana. However, the Hasidim point out, many Hasidic tzaddikim point out, that the language is a little bit different. Hasidim rishonim ha'ishonim sha'achas u'mispalim. The Hasidim sat for an hour and davened, it sounds like, if you read it deliberately and pause the way I did, that they're davening, that they should be able to have kavana that they daven. The more simple traditional translation is to read the whole statement is kind of one phrase without that pregnant pause. However, the Hasidim, again in a twist, and maybe some would argue in a more precise reading, read it differently. No, not that you should spend moments, let alone an hour before davening, just in contemplation to be able to concentrate, but more than that, sha'achas umispalim kidei shi'chavnu libam labim shashamayim, daven that you should be able to have kavana. Again, the alternative way to, be read, to read that would be, they spent an hour before davening, 
Kama, and why did they spend an hour before davening? So that they would have kavanah, they could concentrate. And that is the typical Musr idea, that uh, it's important and something we should all consider at minimum to try, if we can, to spend a moment just in silent contemplation before davening. But perhaps we can also learn from this Hasidic insight and of Lev Yitzchak's interpretation of the opening of our parsha to even daven, that we should have the help and the success of davening. Parshas V'yashanan, we read for the second time about the Aseris HaDibros. <clears throat> and of course, the fifth of those Dibros, both in Yisro and Sefer Shmos that we read about initially, and again repeated here in Sefer Dvarim and Parshas V'yashanan, is the mitzvah of Kibud Av Va'im, Kabe Esavicha Ve'esimecha. There are slight differences in the Psukim. For example, in our Parsha, there's an additional phrase, Kasher Tzivcha Hashem Elokecha, which Mefarshim discuss, but whatever slight differences between the two formulations, we're not going to get into in this brief Dvar Torah, but for the most part we have this same mitzvah, again repeated, Kibrav aim to honor our mother and father. What is the basis of this mitzvah? So many Rishonim, like the Rambam and the Sefer Achinoch, focus on Hakara Satov, that we are showing a sense of gratitude towards our parent, while respecting them, that's a gratitude that we share and we express for all that they have done for us. Perhaps the source of this approach in the Rishonim is a comment in the Talmud Yerushalmi, which describes Kivarav Aim as a form of Pira'on Chov, of repaying a debt, a debt that we do our best to repay by showing respect, by being Mechabed, our parents. On the other hand, there are different Rishonim, other Rishonim, notably the Ramban, who stresses a Bein Adam Lamokom dimension. The Ramban famously points out that we traditionally think of the two tablets as separating five Dibros Bein Adam Lamokom on the right and five Dibros Bein Adam Lachavero on the left. And if that's true, well, then Kibrav Aim is on the right side of the Luchos. But that right side would seem to be the wrong side if we assume that it's merely Hakar Satov and gratitude, a mitzvah benam lachavero. Therefore, says Ramban, you see from this that in fact there is a benam lamakom dimension to Kibravim, which is why it is on the right tablet. And the emphasis seems to be that the idea of loving and respecting and honoring our Creator Hashem is a very difficult, abstract idea. And therefore, in the Ramban's understanding, and others are Barbanel, and the Sefer Chinuch also mentions something like this that one of the ways we can relate to Hashem is by focusing on our creators with the lower grace C. By focusing on our mother and our father, who are our creators, that will help us focus and have respect and proper reverence for the ultimate creator of everything. If we owe respect to our parent so who gave birth to us, then certainly we owe respect to Hashem who gave life to everyone. What is the scope, what is included in the mitzvah of Bein Adam, excuse me, of so the Gemara Kiddushin, interestingly, when it asks this question, Ezuhi Kibud, merely lists, I say merely because we'll see that there are other things as well, but at least in asking that question and answering it directly, the Gemara lists a number of examples of where a child is required to take care of his or her parents' physical needs, to clothe them, to feed them, and to otherwise help and provide for them. It's very much focused on the physical activities. However, the Gemara does add, and this is an important addition, that the attitude we express 
and the attitude we feel in our heart while we do take care of our parents' physical needs is just, if not more important, than the actual need that we are taking care of. If, even if we're doing something wonderful for our parents, but if in our heart of hearts we resent them for it, and we resent them while we do things good for them, the Gemara says that it's not a mitzvah at all, but just the opposite. You could be feeding them the most delicious and fancy dinner, but if you hate them, if you disrespect them and you resent them, you lose the mitzvah, to put it mildly. So on the one hand, it is about the physical things we do for our parent, but it's also about the attitude we feel while we do that. In addition, in addition to this, the Gemara also tells us there's a dimension of kibrav em bedibor. The way we speak about our parents is also part of the mitzvah. The Gemara specifically talks about how we speak about a parent after they've died, or even in one very, very specific example that the Gemara discusses, which is kind of an obscure example. However, the Rambam extrapolates from these statements in the Gemara the broader, larger point that wherever possible we have to use our words and the way we speak to express our care and concern and respect for our parents. So we've seen Kibarav Aim both in deed, with a little bit of the attitude, but basically in deed, we've seen it in word. There's also a question of in thought or emotion. So the Sefer HaCharedim, who was a contemporary more or less of the Shulchan Aruch of Yosef Karo, as well as more recently the Chaye Adam, both suggest that there is a dimension of Kibrav Eim B'machshava, a mitzvah with how we think. That is to say that in general, we have to genuinely respect our parents. It's not just about our attitude in those moments where we're serving them, but in general, truly, we have to have a great respect for them. They go so far as to say that you have to think belibo in your heart, Shehem Gedolim V'nechbade Aretz. You have to think that they're amazing, that they're great, that they're Gedolim in any same form. Now this is really incredible because, obviously to put it uh, bluntly, not all of our parents are. And nevertheless, according to the Charedim and the Chayadam, we have to do our best to find some aspect of our parents' personality in which they truly, truly excel at. And we have to really, really believe in our heart of hearts that they're great, if not the greatest, at that. So that's a genuine sense of respect that's part of the mitzvah. And incredibly, the Charedim and the Chayadam also say, in their opinion, that love is included in the mitzvah. This is not agreed upon by all. Some have pointed out that it seems from the word to the Rambam, he doesn't think that loving our parents is part of the mitzvah. Could be. It's definitely not clear, and it's definitely not in earlier sources explicitly. But the Sefer HaCharedim and the Chayadam, two very prominent achronim in the last 500 years, both say that love is included in the mitzvah. And they say this is an expression of repaying that, de- we, that, repaying that debt. If Please God, Bezras Hashem, we've all been fortunate to have the love of our parents. They've loved us and therefore taken care of us. So too, as part of repaying that debt, we owe it to love them. Of course, love is the kind of emotion which is only going to be meaningful if it's genuine. But hopefully if we've been blessed with the love of good parents, there's no reason that we shouldn't love them genuinely ourselves. And we should certainly cultivate that love. And at least according to these post schemes, it's not just a natural emotion, but it may even be a critical part of the mitzvah of Kibar Avaim.